Have you ever wanted an instruction manual for your life? Something that went over the stuff that isn't always obvious? Or even some of the stuff that is? My name is Sarah Ramsey. I'm a singer, voice, performance, and growth coach, and I've spent a lifetime open to the lessons behind our experiences and seeking out pathways to becoming more enlightened, better humans. And I'm Dr. Stefan Rabnett. I've been a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine for over 20 years, and I'm also a Jay Shetty certified life coach. I've long been fascinated with our human superpowers, the ones we don't quite have the instruction manual for, and I'm forever curious about how we can unlock them. Welcome to This Big Life Podcast, where we have deeper conversations about the nature of existence, our place in it, and how we can leverage these things to create the life we want. Basically, we're bringing the woo-woo to you, you. But don't worry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. today and we are discussing what we need to give up on our journey to achieve growth um because i think that's a piece that doesn't get always looked at you know we we all want these um pieces of growth in our life but we actually do have to give up things along the way to achieve those because we can't be our old selves and our new selves all at the same time. So we're going to get into that. Well, we are a couple of Gemini's, so there is a possibility of a duality there. But um, <laughs> when, when I was that thinking about this one, I kept coming back to one thing. And I'll share that in a moment. But mm-hmm. because it is one thing, I'm going to leave that hanging here for a little bit <laughs> just so I don't say everything kind of all at once. <laughs> but it is an interesting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's an interesting question because the first thing actually I got drawn to is, well, do we? Like, why can't we have it all? Do we really have to give something up? And then I started thinking about, well, what does that um, It's the giving, how we charge the giving something up. And that is a big kind of mm-hmm. aspect of all this. Anyways, we'll, we'll dive in in a moment here. But um, it, I, when we were thinking about this topic, it, um, it's not that gain, this is my personal kind of opinion, it's not that gain yeah. has to have a cost. It's not that one is required in terms of transactionally, like, well, I have to um, pay this to get that. However, as part of the process of discomfort to evolve, often things that we rely upon aren't there anymore as we make room for something new. Mm -hmm. And it's that little aspect that I think that is kind of the juicy bit of this conversation. So I agree. And I have seen, you know, I've seen this quote, um, online, you know, um, online memes and whatever, I guess memes, maybe it's the wrong word when you're talking about inspirational and aspirational quotes, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Um, I've seen the quote online and I'm absolutely going to butcher it, but it is something about, you know, 
what you give up to become who you want to become. And in really simple terms, if you want to become um, an elite athlete, you have to give up uh, sitting on the couch and eating a bag of chips every night, or you have to give up uh, you know what I mean? Like there are mm-hmm. things you cannot actually hold the two pieces at the same time. Um, and I, I, so I just think that there is a piece around growth that we can't be our old selves and our new selves at the same time. And I agree that it's not transactional, but we can't be our old selves and our new selves at the same time. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it is. It, it well, it's interesting because um, the it, as you say that, even part of me who is not an elite athlete was was my brain part of my brain is mm-hmm. like, well, I, I could eat a bag of chips. <laughs> like, I could do that if I was an elite <laughs> athlete. Why do I have to let it go? I know professional athletes that do that. But then I realized, so it's resistance, right? It's resistance. And mm-hmm. um, and that is something that potentially I'm not willing to give up is actually the resistance part of it and not the whatever that resistance is showing mm-hmm. up as. And that'll segue yeah. right back to the only bit I really got here. But And that is that okay. the thing that um, I believe if we were going to sum it up, that we're required to give up in order to really evolve is our story. And that is a big one because I don't think we like letting go of our story, even in those bits of our story that we don't particularly like, because it's an identity, because Mm -hmm. it's something tangible. It is because, so I'm looking at it, well, this happened to Stefan and Stefan did this and Stefan, 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 all these kind of particulars, basically a story that am I willing to give up the story of Stefan to be the life that lives through Stefan? And that is theoretically like, hell yeah, but that often and will bring up a lot of discomfort for people if we're, if we're looking at letting go of our story. And when I talk about resistance, I realize that that potentially is part of my story that I'm like, Oh, I, because in the past Mm. I have been, um, uh, uh, the grass is greener or sit on a fence or even way or both paths are great all to see the positive in everything and uh-huh. it's based on a truth but it's also a resistance in terms of choosing something so with uh-huh. that um, I get comfortable in a certain level of resistance basically staying in the status quo because it's safe and that is part uh-huh. of my story And that is what I've been required to give up more and more as I'm choosing to see my life excel to the degree that I want to see it excel. Yes. So, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Exactly that. You know, I think those pieces, there's safety in what we know. So it's the resistance to, I don't, I don't want to conflagrate resistance as your story and resistance to giving it up because those aren't necessarily the same thing. Totally. Also, I want points for the fact that I just used the word conflagrate. I was, I was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a good morning. I'm on my second coffee, and I have big words in my mouth. Well, you have to give up old words to embrace new words, and we've embraced a new word here this morning, so that's good. So you, you, you know, I don't, I don't want to um, conflagrate uh, resistance as a story and resistance to uh, giving up the old self because those are not necessarily the same thing. They can be, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I think we hold on to our old selves, our old habits, our old um, the the pieces of of our story because, and we've talked about this um, point before, that our bodies process familiarity as safety, whether or not it is in fact the best thing for us. Absolutely. So those things that we, uh, that feel familiar and, and are known, those feel safe. So if, um, if the if it's resistance or if it's you know stuff that maybe isn't good for us maybe maybe you know you talk a lot about the meditation piece so maybe not being a meditator is the story that's the that's the who you've been and you have to give that up in order to become a meditator <laughs> like it it's that simple but there's familiarity in doing what we've always done. So change is hard. Oh, yeah. Change is hard. <laughs> it sounds great. And we can... <laughs> All right. And are we done? <laughs> We're done. <laughs> done. Change is hard. <laughs> by Thank the, you by the way, to our podcast. <laughs> in the show notes, we are going to come up with a definition for conflagrate. <laughs> the word... What was that word, Conflagrate. It's a word. It's a real I, word. I, well, we're going to put the definition down because it's. I, I'm not doubting you, but okay. you really could <laughs> say anything right now, and I wouldn't believe you. But um, that's a great word. I I could, and my family does have a history of making up words, but that one is a real one. Okay, I knew that. What are you talking about? Talking yeah, about? yeah. I totally do that. So. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you this, Sarah. Is there a part of your story okay. that you're resistant to let go of? Does anything pop when I ask you that? Oh, well, for me, um, I think the one that I struggle with is, I mean, I've had chronic health issues my whole life. And so the piece around, I want to be healthy. That is actually not like a totally straight line because there is so much familiarity in not being healthy. Mm-hmm. And I I want to be careful about how I say this because in it, I don't want to overlay this on uh, anybody else who deals with chronic pain or uh, health issues or anything like that, because everybody has their own journey with that. But for me, you know, I'm doing a lot of work in my, with my counselor and, and that around and have been for some time undoing some uh, family 
stuff, family of origin shit. We all have it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm recognizing that there's a place where that developed because that was a way where I could experience love and care and attention that did not feel um, easily accessible in other ways as a child that, you know, didn't understand how to pick any of this apart. And so it became uh, an easy place to land, or I shouldn't say easy, but a habitual place to land for love and care and attention. And it has really complicated my life. It has not made life easy or, or good or, you know, there's a lot of things that have been not awesome about that. And I have to recognize that there are places where, you know, that's, that, that was the good part that I got from it, I guess, or the, because I think we hold on to things because they do serve us in some way. And that is the way in which I have to recognize that it has served me. So that is where I have a hard time, or historically, I have had a hard time um, moving past that into things to, to, like to, in order to take care of myself in ways that will foster better health or, or, you know, better management of my health or chronic pain or anything like that. Um, because managing that in a better way means that I am going in, in my complicated little unconscious brain means that I am going to give up love, care, and attention. Wow. Well so said. It's, like, Thank it's you for sharing that. Yeah, right? it is complicated. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And because it, it's, it's interesting how, you know, you start with something like health, right? You're looking at your health and then because of the mm -hmm. work you've done, you've been able to kind of loop it back and look at experience and then the themes with respect to the self-care and that being a big aspect with respect to health. So, um, I mean, it's not as simple as, well, how do you let go of that part of it? Cause I think you, you are right. You, you're doing work. You're it's, um, it starts with an intent, yeah. but it's also going through the process of what that entails. And I think that's where the uncomfortable bits often kind of get accentuated for us is when a soul sells all sounds well and good to let go of a coping pattern or habit that we can logically say, well, oh, okay, that game piece on the board, well, that's not really conducive. But when we start taking it away mm -hmm. or even the idea of it or a relationship to it, then it's not nice and it doesn't feel good. And then other kind of coping things can yeah. definitely kind of come in. So that's interesting. Um, and it almost may, it seems like we have, you know, relationships to parts of our story. And I like what you said there is it, it, like you started talking about how, mm -hmm. um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it seemed like with the energy behind it, it was, it was like, you know, you could recognize that that aspect served you like there was value in it, even though you wouldn't choose it again or necessarily mm -hmm. or kind of continue to choose it kind of going forward. And, um, uh, and I think not I consciously, well, yeah. And I guess that's the rub because we, we do so much as we're choosing in the background because of that safety mechanism. Yeah. And I think we have that with all relationships. Yeah. Sometimes we look at things to kind of, um, 
categorize them as ultimately right or ultimately wrong. When even with people, we can have a relationship that serves a purpose. It was exactly for what it was. And then we've moved on. And that's where we're supposed to be in terms of moving on. So I think we have those relationships with bits of our story. And it is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting soupy little bit to all of us is, um, cause we all have those bits that we don't even really realize we're staying true to that story. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and here's where it, like the layers complicate and it's, it's much easier to see in hindsight than it is in foresight. Right. <laughs> totally. So yep. that whole story developed for me out of childhood pieces, family of origin stuff. Um, and I want to say along with that, like, I love my parents dearly. They're gone now, but parents all do the best that they can and no parents do it right. So we all have shit with our parents, right? We just totally. do. We're supposed to. Yeah. And that's okay. I fully expect that my kids will also have shit with me as a parent because that's part of that learning cycle. We don't all get it right. So that is okay. It's it's an and also piece. I can hold both. And so that all developed out of that childhood stuff for me. And what I've had to develop, like in order to address it, feels disconnected, but is so connected. So it's things like uh, my husband and I have gone to counseling and we have worked on our communication skills because through that, I have learned how to better ask for the love, care, and attention that I need in a conscious, verbal, like cards on the table way, instead of having to create pieces where I, I create it in my life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So learning to communicate my, my needs properly rather than creating uh, situations in my life where it's going to, you know, manifest in a, it's that whole negative feedback, positive feedback loop, right? And when you're a kid, it's not always distinguished. Now I'm learning how to do it well. And interestingly, my health has gotten a whole lot better. There have been Mm. a lot of other things. I've like really actually addressed a lot of issues in my health at the same time. So I, in no mean, like in no way do I mean to um, suggest that it is purely just I've got better communication skills, so now I don't get strep throat. Like, <laughs> it's not quite that simple, but I I do think that there is a connection. Or I don't think it? they are unconnected. Well, even just I mean, you, you mentioned strep throat, <laughs> right? So what is what is that around? Right, expressing, right? It's your throat. You know, it's communi- yeah. You know, it's communicating yeah. your needs. Yeah. So it's like there's no accidents here, right? Like we don't like we are. We collectively and, you know, we're, we're interesting, right? It is, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me, like how much the themes, um, impact our physical reality. It's comical really. Um, but yeah. So how, well, and, and hilariously, I'm someone who like historically I've had strep throat probably upwards of four dozen times. I've been hospitalized for it twice. I went septic from it once when you're not like a form of it. You shouldn't even have had to have 
antibiotics from. I was in an ambulance and septic and like, it, like my relationship with strep throat has been so profound and so long lived that when you look at it from that point of view, where it's like, it's all about throat and expression. And I'm talking about the fact that I have learned better communication skills and how to more appropriately ask for what I need in relationship. Like there's no way those are unconnected. Totally. Absolutely. You know? And I think it's okay also that like when in the throes of having strep throat, you're just like, give me some freaking antibiotics and a popsicle. Like I don't care about it being related 100%. to anything symbolic right now. Hundred And that's totally okay. Cause when yes. we're in that, Absolutely. that's not necessarily where we're going to make those awarenesses and connections. Although even if we do, they can be very powerful, but mm-hmm. so it's forgiving ourselves because we're constantly looking like, oh, that's interesting. That's why I guess, you know, that's part of um, my story manifesting in my health. It is an interesting one because, well, here's a question for you. How much do we have to be aware of the story in order to let it go? Mm. Well, I think that we do. I, I think it's really hard unless you just happen to stumble into it, which I guess can happen. But I think um, it's, I'm trying to come up with a, a scenario in my head and falling short of how you could let it go without an awareness of it. Can you spell one out? That- um, well, I guess maybe we should look at the terms like awareness because awareness, like I agree, like uh, you can have an awareness mm. of something, but not get into the nitty gritty details or I guess kind of make it significant. Like I've mm-hmm. kind of mentioned this ad nauseum a lot like in terms of Mm. you know we have that sweet spot between awareness and significance and it's in between those where really growth is possible and we're often on either end of that like oh that doesn't exist or it's all about this so i guess when we're looking at the story aspect of it i know personally because stories are often so charged it's easy once we open that door a little bit mm-hmm. to delve into the significance of it. And then once we've done that, that can be almost a little bit paralyzing. And we've kind of shifted away of just being like aware of it. Aware mm-hmm. of it almost like you're looking at, you know, watching a show on TV where you're like, you're aware of what's happening, but the 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 significance charge is different. You know, it's a TV show. It's like, we're going to turn it off and, you know, you might not think about it. Mm-hmm. Um Anyways, I was going to go into an example of a TV show, but we'll save that. The so I think we can get into the <laughs> the, the intricacies of the story, and then that kind of hold, can hold us down a little bit. So we did, you know, we recently did that aspect of setting goals, and we were kind of talking about mm-hmm. it's about the energy behind those kind of goals and those habits more than that actual thing that themselves, and that's kind of the thing to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so I think it mm-hmm. can be somewhat similar when we're talking about. Um, being aware of a story or needing to be aware of a story in terms of being able to let go of the story. I think if we can get to the point where it's more of like an energy of the story, then I think it's easier to let go of almost than if it was like Mm -hmm. the particulars of it necessarily, like the tit for tat. It's like the same thing with dreams is, um, 
I, I know like dream symbolism can mean a lot of different things, but in acupuncture, we're generally taught it's not so much what happens in the dream, but the energy and the emotion in the dream. And that's kind of what your subconscious is dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, it's the same type of thing potentially where if we're able to look at the energy of kind of whatever story of the past of, you know, parents are growing up or a past relationship or, you know, a tragedy or anything like that and be able to kind of go into the feeling of it, then we can let it go without looking at the particulars of that story. And you've mentioned this a lot too, because of all the um, kind of somatic work that in terms of how we kind of feel these mm-hmm. kind of stories in our body. And I think that can be a very powerful aspect of working through this stuff too. So you're dealing with almost the behind the scenes aspect with the energy and the somatic aspect of it. And not so much about, oh, Stefan did this and blah, 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 going through and um, kind of reading it out. I agree with you. And and actually, as you say that, uh, I'm thinking about trauma work, which I am in no way well-versed in at all. Uh, but trauma-informed work is coming up in a lot of different areas besides just simply trauma counseling, but, you know, um, a lot of different fields are, uh, really building an awareness of trauma informed care within their field. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the most important piece of that to recognize is that we don't actually have to know what the trauma is. We do not actually have to relive the trauma in order to work on the healing piece from it. And that is something that is uh, like really a, a cornerstone of, of trauma work, right? Is you, you don't want to re-traumatize. Totally. <laughs> that is not the point. So, those details are not the important piece. And I think what you're talking about must be where that lands. And I'm saying this through the lens of someone who is not well-informed on trauma care, but that makes sense to me that you're working from a place where you're looking at the energy of what the trauma was rather than the details. You are looking looking at the fallout of what the trauma was not the details of the trauma yeah and you're working with the healing coming from those pieces yeah and i i think you know if you it it's that's almost that's nice to hear even from like a perspective of somebody that has trauma and that we have this idea well i don't even I don't know if I can go there, right? Like I don't because it can happen with trauma is we have a general sense of something, mm-hmm. but we're not, there's certain kind of, there's a purposely fuzzy in terms of the memories and, and different aspects of that. And that's yep. okay. And I think a lot of people are resistant to um, explore the help of professionals and trauma-informed care and, and different work with counselors, psychologists is there's like, I don't, I, I don't want to dig something up. Like, I don't know if I can handle if a memory, like that type of aspect. And mm-hmm. so um, it's nice to know that that isn't a requirement to have growth through how an experience in the past mm-hmm. can imprint you and affect your filter and your health. So it's, uh, I like that we've kind of, it seems like, you know, collectively we've kind of evolved a little bit, whereas in the past it used to be a little bit more like, okay, you know, I gotta go back there, you gotta relive it and then you gotta let it go. And 
and mm-hmm. uh, that's not the case anymore because you know, I think we are very good at walling stuff off. We're also very good at avoiding because, you know, again, we have that part that wants to protect us. And it was like, nah, you know, it's going to skirt around, like kind of mm-hmm. putting your finger on like a wet something that launches when you when you press it. But um, <laughs> I, there was an analogy in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where that went. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, I, I think these are all aspects of, um, you know, we're willing to, what are we willing to let go of to kind of evolve and forgiving ourselves that on one level, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure we're like, well, everything, right? Like, okay, like, of course, why wouldn't I? But that involves a lot. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I've shared this on the podcast before, but, you know, as no stranger, everyone that's heard me yabble is like, I like questions. I like kind of asking questions. And there was a situation, yep. um, uh, well, more than a situation, but like just personally, like about, you know, five years ago, it was, I had gone through in a relationship, things were kind of starting to change. And I started asking myself this question of what is committing to my life look like? What does committing to my life look like? Mm. And it wasn't, again, committing to the story of Stefan, right? Even though that's kind of at the start what I thought it was. Well, okay, Stefan was like, no, no, no. So really committing to your life is is the life, is the thing that's going through the Stefan, right? Not the molecules of Stefan that's holding Mm. stuff, but kind of the life that's going through. And... um. I remember asking that, asking that, asking that. And then um, about a month later, we found out we were pregnant. We, okay, editor's, narrator's voice. It wasn't actually me that was pregnant, but I contributed to that project. Anyways, but it was such like a, oh my gosh, like that is like, holy crap, Mm. you know, because it wasn't something that was planned. And as a bit of an aside, it was interesting how something so at first stressful can literally turn in the best thing that's ever happened to you. But it embodied the awareness mm-hmm. of that question of what does committing to my life look like? Because there was in a different aspect now uh-huh. is like suddenly there's like another little being that's coming in and it's just like, you know, you're going to help, you're going to have to hold the space for this little guy. And um, mm-hmm. that was a big one for me. And it had, I did have to work through elements of quote unquote, like my story, but it was really when, when things were stressful and obviously they got, they were stressful a little bit at the beginning because your mind goes, okay, what does this mean? And significance and blah, 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 um, is what does committing to your life look like? And I kept asking myself that and it was, um, it really, really helped me. Because it really focused on the energy of creation mm-hmm. and not the story of whatever had kind of happened before or even the story that was continuing to unfold or happen. It was about the energy behind it. And mm-hmm. um, there was a point to that story and now I forget it, but there you go. So I think if nothing else is this, you know, asking yourself different questions. And for me, committing to my life is a way to embody committing to something valuable that isn't my story. And so I still use that from time to time. And mm-hmm. I encourage people to, to use that as well, especially when they're at the kind of a crossroads in things or potentially doing work. Because when you're committing to your life, you're committing, at least this is what I charge the word life to mean, is that force, that indescribable something 
that is connected to everything and embodies my part of that. So what is that? And that was, that's been helpful for me. And I also think that that brings us to the, Ooh, okay. I have to figure out a way to say this. That once again is not gibberish. (laughs) Just make up a word. Let's try this again. (laughs) Conflagrate. Not just great. No, I do think that this. I do think that this brings us to a point where we can address the fact that a lot of times there's an intersection with uh, specific stages of life and having to look at growth. Mm -hmm. Like there are specific stages of life that require growth from us. Um, Some of them are age related, you know, like when you go from being a child to being an adult, that's a big shift. And there's a lot of growth that has to happen there as you sort of stop being a child being taken care of and have to take care of yourself. Um, when you are, um, maybe getting into a relationship and you're going from a single person to two people. And there's a lot of growth that has to happen there because it's a whole different landscape when you are bringing children into the world, because that is a whole different level of commitment and like just what you were talking about. And the one that has been much more recent for me um, has been uh, the death of my parents and losing them. And what what was an interesting piece of that for me was that I knew, I, I actually knew before they left this earth, that that was going to be sort of the like final stage of individuation for me. So that was going to be the final stage of me being able to step into myself and being able to um, live my life without, I think as children, even sometimes adult children, some more than others, maybe, but for me, this was definitely a piece of like, you know, always wanting their approval or always wanting to get it right. And, you know, there's, there's some of that stuff. So the approval or, um, because my mom was very sick for a very long time, Um, she had Lewy body dementia and it was a 10 year process of her getting sicker over the period of, you know, long, long trajectory of that disease. So there was a lot of taking care of her over that period of time, which don't get me wrong. There's, I regret nothing there. I have no anything to give back about that. You know what I mean? But when they, when they passed there was a, a obviously a period of grieving and all of that for me. And then, because it's been some time now, it was a couple of years ago that I lost them. And then there was the, the sort of final process of me getting to step into being fully myself. And it freed me from 
needing to do things to please others. It was like this final release of my people pleasing, (laughs) which has been a struggle for me for a long time. And now I feel so much more capable of pleasing myself first. And my, you know, it's like, I have to make decisions that work for me and my husband. And then, you know, our children get taken into account, although they don't live at home anymore, but we're not going to do anything that's like horrendous for them. And then like, those are, those are the, the considerations. And I don't really have to please anybody else. I don't have to make it okay for anybody else. I get to live my life for me. And that stage of growth, that everything that I gave up, which if you look at it one way, I gave up my parents. And if you look at it another way, losing them allowed me to give up people pleasing and, uh, you know, some stuff that was very much tied to my relationship with them. That was a very interesting process. And I knew that it was going to happen before they left. I knew that was going to be the final stage of that for me, that those pieces were tied to them. And, and I would sort of step fully into my life when, now I will say, I only knew that like shortly before they left. It wasn't like I'd, (laughs) I'd known that for years and years. It was, you know, months before they left. I, I could see that that was going to be my, my sort of final individuation, but that was a very interesting process to watch. And it was one of the ways that grief transitioned into joy ultimately over time but the fact that they're losing them this is maybe a weird thing to say but losing them um allowed me to step into my life in a very joyful way as well once i moved through the grief and i think that that is something that um is very positive, actually. And I I feel no apologies for it. You know, like that's, that's a beautiful thing. If we have to lose people, it's great that there can be a positive to it. How about that? Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. That's a really good story. And I think, you know, it's not probably not surprising that when things get close, it's almost that's when we're really letting ourselves be vulnerable to have an awareness like you did, right? Like when they were kind of their time was kind Mm -hmm. of running short. And I think like like one of the common themes, like we start talking about like life changes and different things and and for you, and I can relate this too, is, is when we lose a reference point that we sometimes don't even realize is a reference point, that's mm. when these kind of things come up for change and when we're like, whoa, okay, like as you said, like, a, like um, you know, a change in job, a move, a relationship, different things like that, this reference point point changes. Yep. And I, I kind of went through that recently as my father passed and it's, there was an aspect of kind of, you know, grieving afterwards. And I, you know, I was, I was sad. It was a, it was a kind of an appropriate, but there was different feelings and energies that I was also experiencing. And I realized that I had stored a bunch of stuff in that reference point that almost had nothing to do with my dad. And because I lost my mom when I was younger. So it was like the one parental figure. So I was like, Oh, let's put it on that shelf. Right. Like, and it's just like all this kind of stuff you're putting up there. And it was like this book on the shelf that yeah. I was like, I would look at and I was doing the book, but I wouldn't read the book. Right. I was just like, oh, there it is on the shelf. 
And then with his passing, it was just like, oh, that book's coming down and I, it's time to move on. And then, you, but then you're flipping through that book and you realize it's got all this other stuff in it that's totally unrelated to him, even though it kind of is. Um, mm-hmm. But it was used as a reference point. And um, yeah, I think, well, one, I think we'll have a good episode on the grieving process because there's a lot involved in that, you know? The, yeah. And the one thing like with respect to yeah. um, acupuncture and Chinese medicine is joy, sadness are, are intricately related, right? They're, they're kind of this aspect of a similar mm-hmm. type of thing. And they're both healthy in a way, right? Because of, because of that aspect. But, yeah. uh, you know, the, what I wanted to kind of mention is that idea of a reference point. And that we use reference points as a way to kind of navigate this mass, like, soup of infinite experiences that we have. But ultimately, we construct Mm -hmm. them. And they're not totally real in a way. But we kind of construct them and we use them. And it becomes a subconscious kind of bearing and just that, a reference point that we kind of hang on to. And then, but when that goes, either through, you know, life circumstance or, you know, different choices or stuff, then there's, we get faced with all the stuff that we've put into that reference point. And passing of somebody, Mm -hmm. and especially a parent, I think can be, um, for me, it was just surprising how much was there that wasn't necessarily related to my dad. And it wasn't even a thing. It was more like energy yeah. and, and kind of being with the feelings. And it was like, well, that's interesting, you know? And it was, there was a lot of those kind of moments. Where I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's, that's kind of coming from. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I think. The- I think that's a, that's a place that I think another place that it can be very similar to what you're um, describing is especially for mothers and i say that being a mother so uh i'm i'm not excluding fathers but um i have seen it happen a lot with mothers when all of their children have moved out and left home where there's a lot of processing that is not really just about that final child or their children or leaving home but there's so many other things that they have like stored within the concept of motherhood about themselves and it's like they have to reinvent themselves so i think it's a very similar thing to what you're describing around yeah a reference point or a container yeah it's a good example it's like a to-do to-do list right so finally you're just like whoa and because mm-hmm. I guess a reference point, another way of kind of describing it is an identity, right? In a way, we don't even realize how much we're charging as an identity, whether like, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a this, I'm a that. And then when that identity goes, it happens, I see it all the time with people that say are retiring even, right? They're working towards it. And they're like, oh my God, I can't Mm -hmm. wait till I retire. Like, I'm going to be the best. And then, you know the first four months after they retire, they're completely lost, you know, and they're just like, I don't know what, like, and they're just discombobulated because their identity has shifted so much and that aspect of a reference point. So, and again, that's another good example of why it's not always comfortable, but the growth definitely kind of comes from that aspect of discomfort in a lack of an identity. Yeah. And to that point, um, when you're talking about retirement, and the, the changes that come with retirement. And here's where I would put a, a tick in the column of going into it with some awareness and intention and, um, 
you know, doing some, some work ahead of time. My husband is a truck driver and he has seen, uh, more than once the process of someone retiring from their job and like very shortly after retirement, and it it is in no way um, limited to just that industry. He's just seen it a few times over the past few years where someone has retired and very shortly after retirement has passed away. Mm-hmm. And it's like they are so unprepared for that transition that they're done. Totally. And that's where I'm, I'm going to really say going into it with some uh, preparation and intention and knowing how to, or, or doing some work into the next iteration of yourself. Um, because I think that's what can happen is going into that next iteration of self is so terrifying and so scary and so empty if you're entirely unprepared for it. Um, I mean, that's obviously a very extreme example of it. Um, and I'm not making light of it, but I, I, and I think it gets back to, you know, we, in theory, we're like, okay, well, I just want to grow. Like, yeah, we're going to grow. Um, but what are we willing Mm -hmm. to let go of? And I think almost like, what does letting go of my Mm -hmm. past identities look like for me? And that I think ahead of time lets us to sink in and be like, oh, okay. And it's just an awareness where we can get a better picture of where we've used these reference points and identities to cope yeah. and crutch. And, and again, no judgment. We all do it. But, um, you know, I, I do agree. Like if someone's, you know, and it's understandable if you're going towards retirement, you're just like, I just got to mm-hmm. get there. Like I just got to put up. I'm just going to steamroll ahead and do this. But if you do have the capacity to and the time or the awareness, whatever you want to however you want to put it to kind of just ask yourself a few questions and kind of explore a little bit, um, how your identities currently are helping you. Then I think that gets easier than when suddenly those identities and those reference points aren't there that you can still be authentic to yourself, however that looks. So what I think for me, just kind of going through a little bit is, you know, I look at things mm-hmm. in forms of questions a lot. That's just a pattern that I, I like and it helps me awareness is what parts of my story am I resistant to let go of? Yep. What does committing to my life look like for me? And again, the charge of that is what is a committing to the part of me that isn't story, but that is still unique to me? What does committing mm-hmm. to that look like? And what reference points am I relying on? that I'm pretending not to know that I'm Mm -hmm. relying on them. And that's kind of maybe a little bit of a different one or a deeper one or something when you feel like you need to shift things a little bit, like maybe if you're having like a grumpy day, which we all do at times, it's kind of me, it's kind of a version of the question that I like, what do I know that I'm pretending Mm -hmm. not to know? So what reference point am I using that I'm pretending Mm -hmm. that I'm not using? And, you know, with the question again, you just let you sit with it. The mind will come in, but it's not about what the mind kind of says. It's just kind of seeing what where your awareness goes throughout the day. And maybe something pops, maybe it doesn't. But if nothing else, there's an energy that probably will shift a little bit so you can become a little bit more aware of 
where mm. our cognitive bias is, right? And that's just, I think, another way of labeling where we're kind of have a reference point where we're not really aware we have a reference point is that's mm-hmm. a cognitive bias. It's just like, well, you're making assumptions that um, are somewhat subjective. And in essence, yeah. everything is. Yeah. And I think if you're really wanting to achieve growth, if that's the the path that you're on, I think the first step is to ask those questions to find the places where, um, where, where we are stuck to old patterns or old stories or old pieces, uh, and then get honest about what we are willing to shift. You know, it's that whole thing about, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you, you can't fix an addict. They have to do it for themselves. You, you know, the, speaking from someone who um, has struggled significantly with my dietary stuff over the years, you know, I, I'm well aware that I can say I'm going to change my eating habits or my exercise habits, but until I'm actually really internally ready in my body, and I know when I am and when I'm not, until I'm at that point, I can make all the plans and to-do lists in the world and they're going to do shit. You know, they're just, it's, it's, nothing's going to change. So the first piece is, uh, an awareness. And the second piece is when are you actually ready to give it up? Because change doesn't happen. Growth doesn't happen Mm -hmm. until you reach that point of being ready to give it up. And there's that, I don't know how to say this name, Anae. Nin, Aeneas Nin. I don't know. A N A with the double dots on top. I S um, N I N. Um, it's yeah. a and it's it's something about. Um, I'm absolutely going to butcher the quote too, but it's something to do with that. That growth happens when the pain of staying. Um, so tightly shut it's it's in the analogy of a flower i think like blossoming happens when the the pain of staying so tightly shut becomes too great and it's it's true like it's we we don't change until staying stuck hurts absolutely too much totally and that's why there's no judgment wherever we are in terms of like well i'd like to change i want to change and then like oh i'm still like whatever you whatever um there's no judgment with where we're at because again, judgment usually kind of is part of the thing that kind of keeps us kind of mm-hmm. tightly wound up. So I think that's where that there's no wrong answer, you know, but we have to be willing mm-hmm. to look. It's okay. It'd be just like, you know what? I'm not ready for that. I said, you know what? I'm not going to force a diet right now, yeah. but we got to yeah. be willing to look. So there's no wrong answer, but being, a, being willing to look. And Yeah. This is this was good. So I liked how this kind of episode here evolved a little bit and meandered, conflagrated. <laughs> for me, again, what I've realized, meandered, okay. conflagrated. There's, note to self: never place error on Scrabble. That's just it's not. Don't the is is being willing to let go of mm-hmm. the story and the reference points that we've yeah. used to get by without judgment. So any parting thoughts there, Sarah? Uh, I, um, well, I just have a thought, but it takes us in a whole new direction. I don't know if we want to 
open up a whole new avenue of discussion right at the end. Um, I, Do it. It's just Do it. the thought that I see um, consistently in my in teaching voice. You know, we were talking before about the my strep throat stuff and the chakra piece and the communication and throat. And it's very interesting to me how often I see parallels in people who have stuff stuck in terms of producing sound um, and uh, how, how paralleled it is in their lives and in their, so in their stories. Right. And yeah, there's just a very obvious parallel frequently around the way in which things are stuck and the way in their in their throats. And so if you want to look at it from that fifth chakra point of view or whatever, but they're stuck in their throats, uh, that's that communication center. From a singing point of view, it's usually like technical pieces where we're looking at tongue tension or we're looking at glottal fry or we're looking at you know whatever but i see it from a, a real energetic point of view where they are stuck in really parallel ways energetically in their lives and i think it's just so interesting to observe and i end up talking about it in that form with my students often which maybe brings a little woo woo to my <laughs> singing coaching but that's how I roll because I think that when we start to unlock it in our throats, we also start to unlock it in our lives and vice versa. So we, I talk about that with my students a lot, that there's that parallel. And so it's really good to have an awareness of the parallel because probably stuff is going to show up a little more um, graphically as we start to work with it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. We were talking about this a little bit before, like it, it is, um, we're creatures mm -hmm. of themes and, you know, as above, so below, like there is, it is things have similar resonance. And, um, you, for me is again, going back to a question is what's worth me paying attention to here? Cause again, we don't have to make it too significant, but at the same juncture, usually we're for certain things like how themes impact our health. We're a little bit like, oh, no, that's yeah. not related. And, but just simply asking the question, cause mm -hmm. it's not, you're not forcing something. Is there anything for me to mm -hmm. worth paying attention to here and just see what pops. And it is a definitely a helpful, empowering approach. But like any growth, there's potentially is that discomfort as we let go of the different kind of coping mechanisms. And it can be physically mm -hmm. like uncomfortable because we've charged it to such a degree that our, our patterns change, you know, like our, you know, the vocal cords or voice boxers, the lungs, like all the patterns have kind of laid these kind of neurological pathways of like mm -hmm. a familiar thing. So things can be literally mm -hmm. physically uncomfortable to change on a thematic layer. However, and that's again, why it's important to honor when yeah. you're ready, right? And not forcing it, however that looks. But having said that, it's amazing what the body can do if things are in line. If we kind of go top down from mm -hmm. consciousness down, those kind of patterns and kind of neurological firings can yep. change. Yep. That's cool. That's the truth. 
Yep. 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 <laughs> there we go. Yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yep. We're, we're, we're wrapping this sucker up. <laughs> we're going to conflagrate it. And uh, I'm going to use that word seven times today in I completely random meanings. Yeah. But pretend I, I know what it means. That's, that's my goal for today. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to talk to a patient as well. That's very conflagrating for me. You know, whatever. Let's see. I don't know. Right? They can interpret it as they want to. Anyways, this I is a sign. That it's we time are to done. go. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Thanks for joining our conversation today. You can head over to thisbiglifepodcast.com for all the show notes and information. If you loved what you heard here today, would you do us a favor and rate and review the show? It helps more people just like you discover these juicy conversations. And if you know someone you think would love this particular episode, you can even go ahead and share it with them right now. And if you have a topic you would love to hear us discuss, or someone you think would make a great guest for our show, you can submit your ideas using the link in the show notes. And you can always find us on Instagram, at This Big Life Podcast. Thanks again. We'll be right back here in your ears next Tuesday. See you then.